Welcome to Engage Arizona. Public policy affects all of our lives, often in very profound ways. One of Center for Arizona Policy's main objectives is to inform and educate Arizonans about what's going on at the state capitol and in local governments that impact their lives. If you care about the preborn and their mothers, your rights as a parent, what freedoms are at risk, or how new laws touch your family, we're talking about it, and we invite you to join us as we discuss the latest developments you are not likely to learn from local and national news. Join us now as we unpack the week's developments in Arizona public policy. This is Engage Arizona. I'm Cindy Dahlgren here with Kathy Harrod and Lisa Brugg. We're coming up on the end of June and the deadline for a budget to keep the state government open. That means we are running out of time for lawmakers to pass important policy that affects us all as citizens here in the state. The governor has made it pretty clear that he will not consider any other bills until there is a budget. But once there's a budget, the appetite for staying to debate many other remaining bills diminishes. Regardless, lawmakers are seemingly not even close to agreeing upon a budget. So, Kathy, where does the budget stand? <laughs> That's a very good question. You know, we say every legislative session is different. And I, one of the things we've learned this session is that it's not much fun to have only 31 Republicans and only 16 Republicans when they can't agree on a budget. So right now in the Arizona Senate, you have Senator Paul Boyer not agreeing to the budget that has been agreed to by other senators, um, 30 House Republicans and Governor Ducey. In the House, you have 30 Republicans, but not Representative David Cook agreeing to the budget. So discussions supposedly are happening, uh, but nothing really has moved yet. Uh, much of the controversy centers on the flat tax and Governor Ducey's, I would say, marquee proposal right now to enact a flat tax that would be, well, the kind of what the percentage would be seems to vary, but about 2.5%, I believe, over the next, um, would get to that over the next few years. And uh, the cities and towns do not like it because they feel like they will be not, they will lose money that they need to function. And so Representative Cook and Senator Boyer are opposing the flat tax, and that means there are not 31 and 16 votes to pass those. So what happens next is anyone's guess. So seemingly, though, lawmakers are not doing a whole lot. I mean, they, <laughs> seemingly. Yes. However, right. we know so they are working hard on. behind the right. scenes. Um, there's a lot of conversations obviously going on. Um, you know, compromise is going to have to come in. Kathy mentioned our numbers. And when you have that, you're living on the margins, as we call it, then sometimes compromise has to come in, even when things that we would really care about sometimes get cut out uh, to get a vote on a budget. So, um, you know, I think that um, they'll do it. Um, I I hope we don't have a skinny budget, which you can talk about, um, but because, um, you know, they keep dangling the government shutdown in there. I don't believe that will happen. I think we're all a little too responsible for that. But, you know, stranger things have happened in Arizona. Well, in the uh, negotiations over the budget to try to get to the 31 and the 16, there are certain things we certainly don't want to see cut out. And what is in the budget that CAP is supporting and working to make sure is included in there? In the budget, we have money for life-saving abortion alternatives, what's called the Family Health Pilot Program. 
that would go to two nonprofit organizations that are qualified. And this is the program that is designed to reach women that are seeking to have an abortion to reach them with life-saving alternatives. There's money for um, unwed uh, homeless pregnant moms um, to um, help the, those um, service agencies that are out there helping them. It's the, about the fourth year in a row that there's been money in the budget for that. This year it's doubled. Um, there's a little bit of money for school choice. Um, they, you know, there, there's a little bit of progress on school choice, but um, extending eligibility for empowerment scholarship accounts is not in the budget. There are not the votes to pass that. And so, it, so we do have things in the budget. We also have other bills still pending. And what, you know, when Lisa mentioned the skinny budget, you know, there are two options. They do a skinny budget where it's just to keep government running like they did last year during COVID. That's one option. Or the other option is they um, compromise with the Democrats and they get Democrat votes to pass a budget because they can't get Republican votes. The governor has mentioned that he's willing to work with Democrats. There certainly is at least one Democrat senator trying to push for that. And if that happens, um, the things that we care about will not be in the budget um, on educational freedom, on pro-life. And it probably uh, could potentially um, torpedo some other bills that still remain to be voted on. But some of those bills, if they are taken out, wouldn't they also lose other votes that they now have? Well, it depends on how many Democrat right. votes they get. Yeah, you know, they, they get that, them to join yeah, on. Yeah, they, they would lose. They certainly would lose conservative Republican votes in all likelihood. And that's why it's anyone's guess how they reach that. I think the flat tax proposal will be very hard to get to 31 and 16 without some kind of significant uh, accommodation, I guess I would say, for the cities and towns. You know, there's also concern by, by those two, by that senator and representative about debt that the state has. You know, this is what, you know, it's almost easier to get a budget when it's lean economic times. Uh, right now, there's so, there's so much there's so much money in the state that's available that yeah, everybody wants a, some of it, and it's and that's why the flat tax and a significant tax reduction for Arizona families has been a top priority. But that's, you know, we'll see what happens. I believe there'll be some kind of tax cut. It's just going to be a question of how much and right. what. And then optics on the governor has been very strong on this this flat tax. And um, it's hard when you're a leader like that to have to back up from that and maintain kind of the optics that you're doing something good for your citizenry. So I, I have uh, compassion for what uh, the messaging that's going to have to happen if he does have to back down from that flat tax. But at the end of the day, like we've been talking about, if you can't get your family to agree on something, sometimes you have to find friends somewhere else. And that is where we get that compromise that a lot of times we really don't like. You know, we were talking earlier about how, you know, you mentioned the surplus and the opportunity, even though it's a slim majority, pro-life, pro-family majority, uh, we have great opportunity here. So for them to just come up with a skinny budget and get by and not really pass a lot of good, solid policy would just be a waste of opportunity. It'd be a failure of leadership also. I mean, that of all all of them. I yeah. mean, not just one or two. It would be a failure of all of the Republican leadership. And that is not something that we need to have happen going into 2022. It's like a microcosm of our national government and how we keep kicking the budget down the road. And, and we're better than that as a state. We, we should be able to come together and get this done. All right. So the governor vetoed 22 bills because they reached his desk during budget talks. But before they agreed upon a budget, uh, they've been reintroduced. They included some important election bills and some cap supported bills. The election bills include House Bill 2792 which makes it a felony to send a ballot to anyone who didn't request one. This is to avoid, you know, ineligible voters like dead 
voters receiving <laughs> ballots. <laughs> people, exactly. Or someone who didn't request one. Right. Um, I, I heard a lot of that go on in the last election cycle, um, yeah. that people got a ballot and they, they questioned, did I sign up for this? Right. And so also included in that was House Bill 1074. That's a critical race theory. It uh, bans requiring public employees to have to participate in critical race theory training. CAP supported bills being revisited include a couple of marijuana regulation bills that put safety regulations in place for recreational marijuana, at least to the degree that uh, legislators can affect that. There's also Senate Bill 1022, which changes every reference, correct me if I'm wrong, in state of abortion law from products of conception to an unborn child. The importance of that, of course, is to acknowledge the humanity. Right. Dignity. It changes at least three or four of the, we believe we caught all of them, but it changes at least several of the references to products of conception. Yeah, and, and some people say, oh, well, that doesn't do a whole lot. That's just a word change. But it, it really right. goes to oh, the heart yes. of things. We know that. <laughs> Slippery slope. It's better to change that and, and bring the dignity back to the life of that unborn child. Right. And it, it goes to the whole changing hearts and minds and the way people think about um, the unborn. All right. So we have two bills out there that are not part of the 22 that were vetoed. 2648 and 2035. Am I right that those are the only two? Yes, that, those okay. are the only two. And 2648 is the bill that religion is essential, mm-hmm. that basically would clarify and and you know, basically enshrine in state law to use that term that you cannot dis- discriminate against a religious entity simply because they are religious. Um, in 2035? 2035 is the, uh, let's see what I say, the um, the revised, um, the uh, parental rights. Parental, right, right, parental rights sex ed <laughs> bill. And this is, at, as listeners know, Governor Ducey vetoed the parents' rights sex ed bill. And we have been able to work with the governor's office, have brought back um, legislation, and it just awaits a final House vote, and it would basically still um, ensure in state law that parents have access to the sex education materials, that there's accountability, that there's transparency in what's going on with sex education. It, while we have parental opt-in consent for sex education instruction, it would also say that you have to have parental opt-in, instruct, uh, parental opt-in consent for classes on sexuality other than sex education, which is very important with what we see and how sexuality can be spread throughout curriculums now. So it doesn't dictate curriculum, but it makes sure that parents have noticed that they know what's going on and that their rights uh, to basically oversee that part of the education, the health care of their child, the upbringing of their child is is protected and not interfered with, with by government that thinks they know better than a parent on when a child. But also I'm, I'm overlooking a big important part of the bill is that it still bans sex education in K through four. Yeah, so I was going to add that, (laughs) which is big. I mean, K through four, there's no need for that. At those ages, we've discussed that before. Um, I'm very glad that we were able to keep that in that bill. Yeah, and also, though, making sure that that does not prohibit the teachers from teaching bad touch, good touch, bad touch. Correct. Correct. That on abuse prevention. You know, Lisa and I had a meeting with a a gentleman this week who was telling us, for example, that you you have a math problem in in a classroom, and it says Johnny has two dads. So right. I mean that that's kind of a you know a, a small example, but the desensitization mm-hmm. that's going on that takes you a, you know takes you a second to kind of catch on. Johnny has two dads. Your word problems, you and know, because so, they're yeah. take one dad right. away, and how many dads? Right, are exactly. Left? <laughs> so you're having the child have to acknowledge it to get mm-hmm. the answer to the question at all, um, and that's t- part of that normalizing that um, type of speech through education and that infiltration that's been going on that we're all rising up to start trying to stop it now. And that's why parents really. 
need to be advocating for their children in their local school district if they're in the public schools, district or charter schools. Charter schools are not immune from this, and that they are really looking at the curriculum materials, that they're paying attention, and that they're uh, advocating for their rights. There seems to be a lot more of that going on. Sure I don't does. know if we're just hearing it more or about. <laughs> seems like most school board meetings are rather interesting I these days. I often say we're always late to the party, but when we show up, we make a splash, okay? And I think we're finally showing up and standing up, and I applaud that. Um, so much so that on the floor of the House today, there was uh, a resolution condemning uh, people going to the school boards and speaking up against some of these issues. Uh, what? See, y- yes. And that happened today. It kind of slipped under the radar. It was one of the last uh, presentations on the floor by uh, Representative Tehran today. So they're um, telling parents don't show up at the school boards and speak your mind and be involved in your kids' education. Uh, well, that's a nice way to put it in a nutshell. <laughs> yes, but um, it was more telling the legislators to stand up and and voice uh, opposition to parents coming and um, shutting down speech on equality, you know, um, those sorts of things. All the buzzwords were there. Um, and that was today because we've had some interesting school board meetings in the last few weeks, not just in Arizona, but around the nation. Well, and there were two just last night in Maricopa County where parents went and you know, I saw tweets about it, you know, where um, parents were voicing their concerns about what's going on with curriculum. And, you know, I would say to our listeners, be sure that you have the facts right. Be sure that you know what you're presenting on, you know, that we need to go about this in a wise, strategic manner and make sure that, you know, we've got our ducks in a row. But in just, you know, Center for Arizona Policy will be more engaged in these issues and, and these needs as, as time goes on because we see a critical need to get in there and really help. But that's what, you know, the left is coming against, these parents that are saying that, hey, why are these different uh, – why are these di- really we could go on and on but why are these things going on in the classroom and so parents uh wake up yeah they snuck it in and we want it out all right so that's 2035 and it all it needs is a house vote and then goes to the governor but Correct. the reason they haven't gone ahead and just passed that there's stuff behind the scenes that has to happen the we don't want um, it to get to the governor before the budget does exactly and so when the governor vetoed those 22 bills he had not really pre-warned the legislator you know a lot of times when this happens the governor will say don't send me any bills until you've sent me the budget well that didn't happen the 22 votes just kind of happened all at once the 22 vetoes but now both house and senate have reintroduced all of those bills as you've mentioned but I think the budget's got to get done it's got to get to the governor's desk and hopefully we'll have enough members that hang around after the budget is voted on to um, have 2035 2648 there are other issues out there that need to be voted on um, including those 22 vetoed bills so hopefully uh, we'll get the budget done next week and we'll have those other bills go through as well and I think having those 22 bills reintroduced today gives us a better chance that ours will be moved because we're ahead of the game on, on the process of those now those bills so um, if they have motivation to reintroduce these and they're fired up and want these then i have good confidence that ours will go through all right but we're not looking at anything real soon because there are people out of town and all of that right what's the timeline the next time they would come back like well that's unclear right now the house is adjourned and we'll be back on monday afternoon on monday the 14th in the afternoon there are some at least one member in the house that i know that is out of supposed, supposed to be out of town next week they can vote remotely uh, they So they both House and Senate members. One of the Senate members, for example, is already at his summer home on a lake on the shores of Michigan, um, right by the Canadian border, and tweeted out a picture of um, what looked like this wonderful lake. Uh, so he is already um, gone for the summer, but he was in the Senate today remotely, uh, you know, able to vote. So they've allowed that in both the Senate and House. But 
It all depends on when they get the votes. There's been some talk that they won't come back until the 22nd, but there's so many rumors. This is what, st- we're still in COVID. We're still not down there. So there are just so many rumors that it's kind of like wait and see. We're watching it very closely at CAP. Our, our policy team is just is on it. So we'll see what happens. All right, but hopefully by June 30th anyway. Yes, it will be. <laughs> well, it has to be. Or One way or the other. Yes. All right, so let's talk about 2022, even though we just finished an election. <laughs> Can't get a break. All right, we have big races uh, coming up next year. Our campaign's already underway for a number of state offices. Uh, let's talk about what seats are up, who's running, and what it means to Arizonans and their quality of life. So first, we will be electing a new governor, new secretary of state, attorney general, and one of two U.S. senators. Uh, depending on how that goes, we could be looking at big changes in Arizona. Mm-hmm. We sure could. And right now, it's interesting because there, there are a lot of announcements happening. And so I would say um, stay tuned. Um, CAP Action in the fall, our associate organization will be having webinars and events to introduce candidates to those that are interested. But in the governor's race, for example, you've had Secretary of State Katie Hobbs announced this week. Um, you already have a gentleman uh, by the name of Lopez that's in the race. But on the, then on the Republican side, I think for every Republican statewide primary, there are four or five candidates, if not six candidates. So for governor, uh, it's already um, at least, what, four or five, um, maybe one more to get in. Attorney General, there's there are four with maybe another one to get in. Secretary of State, there are four. And so it's just that season that, you know, rather than go through all the names, I would just say it's such a matter for prayer and <laughs> and that um, and to yeah. see how this settles out and where the money's going to be and, and that these primaries don't you know, that the voters for the general election will be able to have a good look at the merits of each candidate Mm -hmm. and not um, where they've bloodied each other up so bad in the primary that there's not a a good debate left over for the general. Right. Uh, Primaries, crowded primaries can be very good vetting processes um, when we um, do them correctly. Hopefully that will happen um, and hopefully the right candidate will rise that we know can can win. That's the end game. And I think part of it for the you know, for the individual, and I'll include myself in this, some of it, it's like, this is a wait and see time, or to use the phrase, it's a time to keep your powder dry. And mm-hmm. because, yeah, I mean, we're in a situation where a number of those candidates will share our values. They will have, they would answer our survey questions all exactly the same. So the, 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 um, the analysis as far as who's the stronger candidate in the general, who's the, who's the one that would advocate for your values and not back away or compromise in a wrong way, those are things to really be watching for and to look at the records of the individuals and have they stood tall on life and family issues and religious freedom? Are they new to the game? Are they going to be able to hire um, staff? That's the, that's staff, the tricky one. A lot of those things. There's new people in that right. have never held public office, and sometimes that vetting process can be very difficult because because you don't have a vote record. Right, I mean, um, you could talk They've never talk, had to stand up for anything, really. Yeah. Um, and so that makes it difficult, and that's that discernment and where that prayer really comes in, I think. Yeah, and I just want to um, make sure that we say that CAP does not support or oppose any candidate, and this <laughs> should you. not be taken as any sort of endorsement in any way, but, uh, you know, it's definitely something to talk about. And I think, you know, at least on the one side, you were saying in, in all the races, there's already a lot of people have thrown their hat in there and there are other names being tossed around. Does that indicate anything? Like, what does that say? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, Lisa Pye has a good eye. Uh, I, I, would say, I would say it says that it, there are open seats 
And when there are open seats, people want to run. They think, oh, this is my time. Right. This right. is my time to jump in, and I'm the one who can who can win that race, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and especially when you're going against uh, the opposite party and it is an open seat basically for your side. Um, there's not a lot of times in that situation somebody that's next in line, so to speak. A lot of times in your congressional races, you'll get that because it's the state senator that's been poising for three years or something along that line. But when you throw it open, and especially, I would say, given the election cycle we had last time where we ended up, in some really tight places and ended up um, losing some on the national level. And there's this new level of frustration and energy. Um, People are fired up. They want to get involved and make a difference. A lot of people say, Um, Mm -hmm. I think that when things like that, that, you know, kind of shake us happen, it compels people who might not have wanted to run before to run. Uh, I, I believe that's part of the phenomenon. Yeah. I think we're seeing a little bit of that. Well, and to that point, I would say, be careful at weighing a candidate's value based on who has endorsed that candidate. That this is one of those times where, you know, for example, you have, uh, you know, at least two, if not three, governor gubernatorial candidates who will be vying for former President Trump's endorsement. Um, you have, I think, one of our former governors has already endorsed a gubernatorial candidate. Don't just think because, oh, so-and-so endorsed that candidate, and that's the one I should support. You really need to look at their record and vet them. Personalities matter, and so sometimes those endorsements are driven by personality more than they are by issue positions. And, you know, at CAP, and what we do, we're all about where you stand on the issues. Exactly. You have to judge by merit, not by how many times you've heard that name or how many times you've seen that face on TV. And so maybe it's a good thing, even though maybe people are a little election weary still, it's good when people you know, put their name out there early on. It gives time for folks to really take a look and, and weigh things before they really get behind someone. Yeah, and every one of them think they're the right one for the job. Of course. (laughs) You have to, like Kathy said, it it takes some research and some due diligence to really, you know, I've known a lot of people who have been elected to office who are wonderful people. Um, But when, you know, the rubber hit the road, we're a real disappointment. Yeah. I would say enjoy the summer and don't try to figure it out yet. (laughs) I like that. I like that arrest. All right. Well, we are out of time. Uh, So let's wrap it up. But we plan to have a podcast next week with a special guest. But we will still be keeping everybody up to date on what's happening at the state capitol in our breaking news and our FMF and our emails and social media and all that. So keep in touch. Thanks. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.